So it's a great day because it's Mother's Day, man. Lady, I didn't hear you. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Remember, guys, your wives don't cook today. They don't have to clean today. They don't have to do anything today. Right? Amen. Go, ladies. Um, so uh, we're going to have a couple women share. We're going to watch a video. We're going to do some great things this morning to celebrate uh, motherhood, to honor mothers. Uh, but before we do that, we wanted, we thought it'd be appropriate to kick off our baby bottle campaign. This is something Thrive does. We've done it before, um, where they uh, provide these baby bottles. And what we do is we take them home on Mother's Day, and we fill them with coins. Or you can put dollar bills. You can put 20s, 100s, whatever, whatever you want to do. Greg will put big bills in there. Uh, and then bring it back on Father's Day. So start homemade. Yeah, he'll, bring home, he'll put homemade dollar bills in there. Um, <laughs> Did you ever try to print a dollar bill on your printer at home? Well, I have. Uh, and if you have a modern printer, guess what? It won't print it. Because it detects that strip in there and it knows you're trying to counterfeit a dollar bill. Um, so we want to give these out today and we want to collect them on Father's Day. So you, you've all, you all know about Thrive. I don't need to talk a lot about Thrive, but... Um, it's the premier uh, women's pro-life women's clinic in uh, St. Louis and really in the state. Um, we are seeing thousands of babies saved every year. Amen. Thousands. We're also, but I, by the way, I still have my black cup. Black. Not only are we seeing thousands of, of unborn children saved, we're seeing Women and even men coming to Christ. I hear testimonies weekly about lives saved and saved and even souls saved. It's amazing um, what God is doing there. And so this is a way we can, just one more way we can be a part of that work. Um, I was invited to a, a donor dinner recently. And this was for the upper level donors. Um, now, I wasn't invited because I'm an upper-level upper donor. They had an empty seat, basically, and my wife's important at Thrive, so I got invited. So I was, you know, I was there not as a big donor, but uh, because my wife's awesome. Um, but we were, we were at a dinner where, um, you know, it's one of those where it's like, it's four course, each course has its own special wine, and this and that, and this and that, and... We figured out at the at the, at the little at the at the lower level the dinner probably would have cost everybody two hundred bucks a dinner, um, maybe even more. But one of the donors paid for the whole thing. Um, he's somebody you would all know because he's he's famous in Christian circles, but I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want you to think I'm bragging about hanging out with famous people. <laughs> but that being said, um, you know these are people that are giving. Probably not just thousands, but maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to save lives. Um, and so, and, and as, as much as that's awesome, and maybe some of you can do that, maybe some of you can give thousands. I don't know what you can do. God knows. But I do know this, that generally the way God, God's kingdom progresses, it's not through the... the, the um, the work of the few, it's through the contribution of the many. So, you know, and, and I say that because sometimes when you can't do a lot or you can't give a lot, you think, well, why, why give a little? It's not important, so you end up giving nothing. Or I can't do much, so you do nothing. But that's not how it works. God uses every contribution, every gift, and every dollar really matters. It really does. Because when you add it all up, it's, it ends up being a lot. And um, in order to have the best clinic in the state requires that you have the best personnel, and to have the best personnel, you have to pay for what they're worth. You know the old saying, you, you get what you pay for? It's, it's true here, too. 
And so um, there are a lot there are a lot of uh, great nurses out there that you know would like to work at Thrive, and then when they get told what the pay is, they're like, "Well, you know, I can't afford that. It just doesn't work for." Me. It's not that they're money hungry, but you know they've got bills too. And so we we need we need to see uh, we need to have the resources that we can get really get the best because what we're talking about is the literal saving of lives and saving of souls. So it's pretty exciting and pretty awesome what God is doing. Amen? Amen. So if you got one, if, uh, fill it up, bring it back Father's Day. If you need another one or if you didn't get one, talk to Lauren. He will uh, take care of that for you. Um, in order to uh, celebrate Mother's Day, we're going, to begin, we're going to have a couple women share, but before that, I would like to uh, show a video. But I went to prayer about it, and the Lord kept telling me to go to the book of Titus. So um, as, as I went to the book of Titus, I realized that the book of Titus has one of my favorite verses, and it's what I consider one of my life verses. Um, you're more than happy to turn there if you want. Um, it's in chapter 2, and um, the book of Titus was written by Paul to Titus, they had started up churches on the island of Crete, and Paul had left, and he wrote this letter back to Titus, encouraging him to um, finish organizing the churches, and um, he was encouraging Titus to make sure that uh, the church had sound doctrine, and also that um, he was helping them to know how to live out their faith, how to, how to behave, how to practically um, live out their faith. And um, so the verses that um, have always meant a lot to me are verses 3 through 5, but I want to start at the beginning of the sentence. So starting in verse 1, and these have something to do with motherhood. Um, It says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And I remember when I read that, those last few words really jumped out at me, that, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And I realized, wow, these words must really be important. You know, he's basically telling the Cretans and ultimately us how to live so that we don't drag God's word through the mud, that we honor God's word. So to honor God's word as an older woman of the church... It seems really weird that I'm now considering myself an older woman of the church. But as an older woman of the church, I am encouraging you younger women who are married and have children to love your husbands, to love your homes, and to love your children. Um, These truly are God's foundational loves. Um, God knew what he was doing, and he knew that if our families are strong, our communities will be strong, our states will be strong, our nation will be strong. So women, you, you have a great influence on the state of health in our country. Um, and it's really a high calling, a very, very high calling. It's an honor, it's a privilege, I'm going to cry, <laughs> but it's also a great responsibility. And um, it's something that we cannot do in our own strength. Um, in our own wisdom, we really need the Lord, and we need the body of Christ. Um, that's how God designed it. We're not to walk this walk of motherhood on our own. And so um, younger mothers don't ever hesitate or feel silly or embarrassed to call one of us older women. We've been in your shoes. We know exactly what you're going through. And um, we're here for you. And, and maybe sometimes, and, and I will admit, I... I'm busy with other things, and I'm not reaching out to some of you younger mothers as my heart really wants to, but just pick up the phone, and and you can call me at 2, 3 in the morning. I don't care, but we are here for you, okay? Um, And um, as the video showed, as I was putting this together, I thought, wow, that really tied in well because the message is slow down. 
but our kids don't slow down. You, you shut your eyes, you open them, and they're grown. I can't believe we just walked our daughter down the aisle. It's hard for me to believe. The time goes fast, and so maximize your time with your children. Um, I'll never forget the day. I was kind of looking at just this little list of life skills, and it hit me right between the eyes. I, I only have about five more years before my first child is out of the home. And it was that day that I realized my little boy is a man now, and he needs to be prepared to leave home. And it was a real wake-up call. And, and I think the focus for Greg and me really ch- shifted at that moment. You know, we realized we've only got about five more years to, to, to pour into our child, to have the biblical disciplines of, of Bible study and prayer and tithing and serving. And we only have five more years to teach him life skills so that he's able to manage his own home and manage his own car and his own finances and his own laundry. And we only have five more years to, um, <laughs> you know, to, to teach him to respect authority and respect other people as being made in the image of God. And, um, and to be a responsible voting citizen. So I could feel the time clicking all of a sudden, and, and we knew we only had about five more years to teach a biblical worldview so that when he went off, he could have that discernment to know what was right and wrong and what was evil and good and what was true and false. So the Lord just really placed on my heart this wake-up call that you need to make your priorities right according to God's will. Um, so, um, but the most amazing thing um, is that when we thought that we were rearing our children, God was actually rearing and still is rearing Greg and me. Um, he is still using our children, our most precious things, as a tool to sanctify Greg and me and to build our trust in him. Um, he'll use Asa in such a way that it exposes a sin in my heart, or he'll use Stony to, to reveal some aspect of his nature, God's nature, or he'll use Abby to, to bless me, which just increases my love and my appreciation for God. So God never ceases to amaze me how he creatively uses my children to mature me. So mothers, I just want to encourage you to go home tonight, pray with your spouse about how God would have you to use these last few years with your children, because each one's uniquely made. He might have a totally different purpose for this child, so ask him, God, how can I prepare this child for the purposes you have for him? Speak to me, and he will. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. I don't know what I'm speaking into. Um, that laundry thing, I'm not sure that a lot of guys have even learned that yet. But uh, uh, Next, we're going to have Laura Dean share. Laura, give it up for Laura. We really should not show a video like that and then ask two emotional women to come up and speak because I'm so glad Melinda went first. You can go up there if you'd like. Okay, so when I was a little girl, I remember in school, I'm a product of public school, um, but... We still I, love you. What? We still love you. I know. Um, anyway... I remember them always asking. It was just seemed like it was every year, all the way up through, high, through my senior year in high school. And it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, honestly, I never said it out loud. Um, I just picked something. I, I don't even know what I picked. But deep down inside, I always wanted to be a mom. I just did. It was ingrained in me. I just wanted to be a wife and a mom. And I was ashamed to actually say it out loud to a group of people. And I believe that um, 
Well, I was told I needed to have a career, needed to be able to provide for myself in case, you know, my husband died. If I did get married, you might not get married. You might be on your own. You got to do all this, 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 this. Here's the things that you have to go and do. But it was like no one was preparing me for being a godly wife other than the church and a godly mother and trying to know how to raise kids the right way. Um, I was a teacher for six years, absolutely loved it. I mourned when I actually retired. Um, It was hard for me because those kids were a big part of my life. I spent more time with them, um, and they spent more time with me than they even did with their own families at times, Um, and I loved it. Um, The enemy has done an exceptional job of spreading lies about motherhood, and about being a wife and what our jobs are and our calling is. He, um, he's poisoned so many of us, even back in the 70s and 80s. My mind was already thinking, um, I heard, I, heard oh, I even hate saying this, but I heard one girl say that she thought all children were oxygen robbers. Gosh. And that's how poisoned our society is today that we don't value children and we don't value mothers at all um i also remember thinking there's there's too many people there's too many kids people are having too many kids you should just have one that replaces you and one that replaces your husband (laughs) it was ingrained in me and it wasn't something my parents taught me at all it was it was just learning in life and the experiences the people you're around really do make a an impact on your life well i remember um as I, as I think back, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, God had to choose a woman, a very special woman, to carry, birth, and raise the king of the universe. Yeah. And he did a, an amazing job, and I'm very grateful it was not me. <laughs> but <laughs> she went through a lot, a lot. An amazing woman. But if he cared enough about choosing the perfect mother for his son, for, for the creator of the universe, he chooses the perfect child for every mother mm. and father. And he knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him with that. That's good. Um, that just really hit me uh, last night as I was kind of thinking about this. So here's kind of a challenge I'm going to give to some fathers. I remember, um, I, I don't know, countless times, we'd be riding home. My dad would have all three of us kids. My mom, I guess she had her own, she drove separately or something. I don't know. But there were times when he was alone with us, and he would say, um, <laughs> I want you to always remember how much your mother does for you. Mm-hmm. And he said it over and over and over again. And I want to challenge dads in this room, whether your kids are grown or they're little, take time with your kids Talk to them about their mother in a positive light. Let them know that they need to appreciate their mom. Um, It's hard for me to say that because I I don't want my kids to build me up. My job is to work on them. But at the same time, I value my mother. I still do. She's one of my closest friends, an amazing mother, amazing mother, who loves her children, and I pray that I can even do half as well as she's done. Um, So I want to challenge you guys to do that. Last, I want to leave you with one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, And I'm going to read the whole, there's three verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's the good part. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But those things which are seen, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look at your children as eternal souls. Mm -hmm. In everything you do with them, they are an eternal soul. Don't worry about the things of this earth, but keep your eyes when you look at your children. Look at them in that, the way that God looks at them. Amen. Give it up. Give it up for Melinda and Laura.
I just really appreciate uh, the word they both shared. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's stand together. The kids are going to go to class, at least some of them. Pray a blessing on them and the word. Lord, we thank you um, for uh, the wor- opportunity, the privilege of worshiping you this morning in song. Lord, we thank you for the testimonies we've heard. We thank you uh, uh, that they're testimonies to Jesus Christ and his work in the lives of these women. We thank you, Lord, um, that you have um, done such a beautiful work in each of their lives and in their families. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that children are a blessing and a reward We ask that as our kids go to class that you would bless them with your spirit and your word. We pray the same for ourselves. Give us ears to hear, Lord, what your spirit is saying to the church. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2. I was thinking about speaking on the Titus passage, but I think I'm going to speak on the other. Um, Genesis 2. Y'all there? Early? I didn't hear your leaves. The leaves. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It goes on, it says in verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And they were both naked in the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate." Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. 
And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. But he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. And he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. <clears throat> Both uh, scripture and history testify to the profound influence that women, and especially mothers, have on their children and on society. In the scripture, the word mother appears nearly 300 times. In Kings and Chronicles, there's a very significant phrase that appears 20 times. This phrase is related to various kings and is the clue to whether they ruled rightly or governed wickedly. This phrase tells us the key to the success or to the failure of their kingship. This phrase tells one of the most important shaping influences in the life of any man. And that phrase is, and his mother was. All throughout Kings and Chronicles, after the the acts of the king are recorded, it's mentioned who his mother was. A woman's influence on her children is so great that she shapes not only an individual soul, but changes the course of history. As Theodore Roosevelt said, into, into the woman's keeping is committed the destiny of generations to come after them. This was true, certainly true of Eve, one uh, whom the Bible calls the life giver or the mother of all living. And what's important about Eve is that she's not only an example serves as an example to women, but she also, or in mothers, but she serves as, as an example of the church because she is a type of the church in Scripture. So I want to just draw a few lessons from this account of, of Eve. There are many, many, many lessons here. I just want to draw a few for our consideration this Mother's Day. Now, when we look at Eve, we see what we see in all people. We see a mixture of good and bad, Right? Right? Um, and so, Scripture gives us a true picture of humanity. Even its, its greatest heroes are flawed. And Scripture is not reluctant to, to point out the flaws in those in Scripture because we learn not only from the successes of others, but we learn from their failures too. Right? We learn not only what to do, but we learn what not to do. And so, when we look at Eve... Uh, one of the first things we learn is that she's an example of gullibility. <laughs> gullibility. Here in Genesis 3, which we've just read, we have the account of when the serpent approaches Eve and he deceives her. And um, so, so she is apparently in the garden and she, he, he draws her attention to 
The forbidden fruit, and by the way, we don't know what the fruit is. Many people refer to it as the apple, um, but there's no evidence that it's an apple. We don't know what it was. But there was a fruit there that God said they could not eat, and the serpent draws her attention to that that fruit and says uh, he contradicts God's word. He says this is good fruit, it's beautiful, it's going to make you wise, it's going to make you like God, and so... Eve then is tempted to eat of this fruit. And, and can, can you imagine what happened here? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but really the early chapters of, of Genesis intrigue me because of all the things that are like subtext, you know what I mean? So Eve eats the fruit, and then it says, Adam ate it too. Did he object? Did he protest? I mean, what's going on? What's going on in Adam's mind? Why did he do You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's so much there, but it's not there. We don't know, you know. We don't know if they had a big discussion about it or, or if he just, okay, whatever you want, honey. But I can just, I can just imagine, you know, if, if a, modern, a modern version of, of the, this situation where, you know, Adam comes comes home, if you will, he's been toiling all day, and he says, honey, says Eve, I'm really starving, I'm hungry, what's for dinner? She said, well, I've got a new dish for you, sweetie. It's a new fruit platter, and it's called Devil's Delight. (laughs) And Adam says, honey, um, I thought God said not to eat that fruit. She said, well, honey, you know, I was on the internet today, and there's this great blog called Serpentine Suppers. And I learned that if we eat this fruit, we will be like God. So it must be healthy. Adam says, honey, God has said not to eat of it. Eve says, well, well, but it's, it's good for food. Adam, sweetheart, if it's good for food, um, God would have said we could eat it. Eve gets a little defensive, right? What? Are you saying I don't know good food when I see it? What are you saying? I'm not a good cook. You don't like my food, Adam? No, dear. Eve, look, look at it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Adam says, Eve, God said not. No, she cuts out. What are you implying, Adam? That I don't know beauty when I see it? Are you insulting me, Adam? No, dear. Eve. But best of all, it's going to make us wise. Adam, honey, God said not to eat of that fruit. Now, at this point, he's getting upset, right? Eve, I get it now. The real problem is you men. You men just don't want us women to think for ourselves. You think because you got to name all the animals that you're better than, than women. That's the problem. So Eve took the fruit, ate it, served it up, and Adam ate it. Now, that dialogue probably didn't happen. (laughs) We don't know really what happened. But I think here's what should have happened. I think Adam should have, when Eve took the fruit, Adam should have grabbed the fruit, He should have walked over to the serpent, grabbed the serpent by the neck, shoved the fruit in the serpent's mouth, thrown the serpent on the ground, crushed his head, and say, leave my wife alone. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. Yes, dear. And he ate the fruit. So many lessons. So many lessons. One lesson for our ladies is to seek to be a learner and a listener, not a leader. First Timothy 2, Paul addresses this. We don't have time to look it up. But the point is, instead of acting independently of one's husband, a woman should seek to act in harmony and honor his leadership. 
instead of chafing at his leadership, she should strive to submit herself cheerfully, knowing that authority is designed for her protection. Protection. You see, the problem here in this passage is that Adam, uh, he just went along. You know what I'm saying? Now, it's interesting in Christian theology, a lot of times Eve is blamed for the fall. But I think that's incorrect theology. Because when you read the New Testament, it says that sin entered through Adam. Sin entered through Adam. Why? Because Adam was the the covenantal head, and he was the one that was ultimately responsible. And when Paul addresses this issue of men leading in the church, is the context, he says that, that Eve was deceived. You think, oh, well, that's insulting to women. Oh, but, but, but this is what he says about man. But Adam transgressed. What is worse? Being fooled into sin or sinning with your eyes wide open? Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. That's what transgression means. He saw the line and he walked over it. Eve didn't see the line. She got deceived. So Adam is the one that is held responsible because he's the covenant head of his family. And what he should have done is he should have protected his wife and not gone along to get alone. And so... You know, there's so many, you know, applications of this. Clearly, um, in the home, we need to understand what spiritual leadership and authority is really about. Now, if if you go back to my little example here, my little mime I did, or whatever you want to call it, my little drama, the problem is some Christian men claim that they understand headship and authority, but in fact, they don't. Because what they're doing is instead of stomping on the head of the serpent, they're stomping on their wife and their kids. And they're calling that authority. They're calling that leadership. That's not authority and leadership in the biblical sense. There, there is no biblical warrant for abusing a wife or children. None whatsoever. None. And so, um, if a man's going to lead his home, the first thing he has to do is he has to take authority in the spiritual realm. He has to take authority over the enemies that are attacking his wife and children. And a lot of men don't take authority spiritually. They're not intercessors. They're not doing spiritual warfare for their family. And yet they walk in the door and they expect everybody to obey them. It doesn't work that way. You must first exercise authority in the spiritual realm as an intercessor and a warrior for your family. And I love this about about Job. You know, we get a few verses about Job, and one of the things it says is that Job prayed and he offered sacrifices for his children, lest perhaps they had forgotten God. And so as, as much as we can exhort women to follow, men have to lead in a biblical way. And, and I believe, and this is just an opinion, it's not written in the scripture, but I believe that part of what, part of what um, fostered the rise of feminism in America was men abusing their authority. If you go back and look at the, the, the typical home back in the 40s and the 50s, it was, it was the man governing, but not spiritually. And there was a, probably a whole lot of abuse going on. And the result was an, an anti-male uh, reaction. And it's understandable. It's understandable. So, as much as we want to exhort... Christian women to follow the leader of their husbands, we also need to exhort the men to lead in a biblical way. Right? So, one extreme is, is, is the heavy-handed approach, which is wrong, but the other extreme is the approach that Adam took. Adam was subject to the nice guy syndrome. He, he, 
Now, now I, you know, I've mused upon this text many, many hours, and, and, and so, you know, it doesn't say why he did what he did. So, but a lot, of, a lot of commentators think that Adam loved his wife more than God. And that was the problem. And that, that may have been the case. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I think a common problem with men is they love peace more than they love holiness. And I was thinking about this. Much marriage counseling over the years, you know, is that sometimes couples who, quote, get along are actually, they've actually called a truce. You know what I mean? They're calling what they have peace, but in fact, it's not peace, it's a truce. And the difference is, is that to have peace, the other party has to be a true ally. You have to be in agreement. And a lot of couples have disagreements, and the way, the way they resolve their disagreements is we're not going to talk about it. That's not peace. That's a truce. That's like two warring countries that decide to halt hostilities temporarily, but not become allies. You see? And so many marriages have these, these things that are not, not resolved, not dealt with, but the partners call a truce, and it's often the man because he just wants peace at home. He's working hard. He comes home. Like, I just don't want to deal with the hassle. He just goes along, and he calls a peace. But it's not peace. It's a truce. And the danger of doing that is not only is it abdication, but the real danger is those things, those things don't just sit there. They grow. They grow. I had a conversation with a, a young woman the other day, early 20s, Christian home, Christian you know, parents, talking to me about her fear that her parents may wait for the kids to get out of the house and then divorce. Why? Because there were things there that had been in their marriage all along, and they won't deal with them. Because it's just easier to just call a truce. Those are weeds in the garden. That grow up and they choke the word. And they're very, very dangerous. So, the lesson for all of us as the church is, of course, we need to all be aware of deception. Amen? Male or female. We all need to be aware of deception. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul alludes to this account, he's actually warning the church. He's not warning women or warning, you know, Husbands or wives, he's warning the church. We need to beware as Eve was deceived, so we get deceived from simple devotion to Christ. So beware, the serpent is real. And the greatest safety we have is in submission to Christ. Because he is our head. Amen? He is our covering. He is our Lord. He is our warrior who will fight for us. Second example of Eve is that she's an example of repentance. An example of repentance. Notice this in, in um, Genesis 3. So, so there's the fall. God comes. They, they hide because of fear. Which is, I mean, these few verses here are some of the saddest verses in the Bible to me. You know, to see them running away from God. I mean, how sad is that, right? And yet it's our plight in our fallenness now. The, 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 this, this sense of shame, this, this sense of wanting to hide from God. Um, but when, when God comes, he addresses Adam and he says, where are you in verse 9? And he says, uh, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And what does Adam say? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Well, what is he doing? Say it loud. It's blame shifting. She did it. Now, he ate the fruit, right? But when God comes to him, and he comes to him first, why? Because he was the covenant head. Comes to him and says, you ate the fruit. And he says, well, uh, but the woman, the woman gave it to me. He's trying to shift the blame onto his wife. 
But what's even worse than that is he says, the woman that you gave to me. Wow, this guy's really... Ooh. Wow. I mean, he's really twisted up here. You know what I mean? I mean, when his wife says, hey, let's do this thing which isn't right, he doesn't say a word. But then when God talks to him, he starts talking back and blaming God. I mean, he's twisted up. He's a mess. But what's interesting is when God comes to Eve, she doesn't do that. She could have said, you know, um, you're right. I got, I got deceived here, but Adam didn't do his job and Adam didn't protect me. Now, she could have said that. And that would have been true. But notice what she says. Verse 13, and Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's exactly what happened. Now, you could read this, well, he deceived me as an excuse. Maybe. But what she says was absolutely true. She spoke the truth. Whereas Adam was making excuses, Eve spoke the truth. She admitted that she was deceived. She admitted that she failed. She did not blame Adam. She did not try to blame God. In other words, I believe she took responsibility for what she did. And there's certainly a lesson here for all of us. (laughs) And the lesson is this, that if and when we sin... We should not rationalize. Simply confess. Simply confess. The way out of deception is confession. Let me say it again. The way out of deception is confession. Because in confession, we step into the light. Rationalization, we stay in the darkness. Rationalization is is the fig leaves. It's, it's the human-made covering which doesn't cover. Right? Confession is, is simply honesty and is stepping into the light. And so, you know, Mom, if you've lost your temper and you've yelled at your kids, then confess it. If you've disciplined them or spanked them in anger or harshly, then confess it. If you resisted your husband's authority, then confess it. Go down the list. Don't rationalize, just confess it. And surely, if God could forgive Eve, and really Adam too, when you think about the consequences of their actions, if God could forgive them and provide for them an atonement through the, through the, the, the animal that was slain and pro- pro- provide for them a covering, if God could forgive them, he can forgive you any sin you commit. So just confess it. And he will forgive you. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for every sin. Every sin. Isn't that good news? Because that's the gospel. And what's ironic, well, I won't go there. I'll talk about that later, maybe. Thirdly, Eve is an example of faith. Of faith. In Genesis uh, chapter 2, no, no, let's go to, let's go to Genesis 4. Okay, so the, um, what happens is after they sin, then God provides a covering for them. They leave the garden. They're expelled from the garden. And then it says um, in verse 4, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now it sounds like she's just saying, I've had a baby. Uh, but if, you, if the Hebrew actually implies a lot more, um, remember that when God cursed them, he also provided them with a promise. And the promise is here, 
where it says, God, after, as God is cursing the serpent, it says in verse 15 of chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed. He will bruise your head. The woman's seed is going to destroy you, is what this is saying. And you, the devil, the enemy, will bruise his heel. In other words, he will be wounded, but you will be destroyed. So this is the first promise of the gospel. And I believe that Adam and Eve understood, the God, understood what was being said here. That God was promising that of, her, uh, of, of the fruit of her womb would come the one that would undo the work of the serpent. And why do I say that? Because after the fall, what? now this is after the fall. The fall, what's the fall bring? Death, right? After the fall, what does Adam call his wife? Before this, she's not named. Her name is woman. After the fall, Adam gives her a name. And it's in verse 20. And Adam, 320, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, you would think he'd call her not mother of living, he'd call her the mother of death. No, really. But no, he calls her the mother of living. Why? Because of the promise of God that of the fruit of her womb, the serpent would be destroyed. That ultimately through her, life would be restored. Eternal life even. And Eve embraced that promise. Eve believed God because when she conceived her first child, she said, I have received a man from the Lord. And in in the Hebrew, it could be translated, I have received a man, the Lord. Meaning that she believed that her seed would be the promised Messiah who was the Lord, who would then destroy the work of the devil. And so Eve was a woman of faith. In spite of her failure, in spite of the fact that she had been deceived, she still, she repented, and she became a model of faith to women and to men for all time. And I want to say this to to the ladies, put your faith in the Word of God. Eve's first mistake was that she... She got deceived into doubting God's word. That was the first mistake. Because the word is the foundation of everything. But I believe that Eve learned her lesson through her repentance. And now she believed God's word of promise. And so she became a woman of faith. And because of that, her seed would eventually conquer And there are many, many precious promises in the Word of God to mothers. Many. Can I just read a couple? Because these are the words that you must parent by and live by as mothers. One is in Deuteronomy 7, if you want to turn there with me. Deuteronomy 7. We'll start in verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. Amen? Amen. The faithful God. Amen? Amen? Who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keeps his commandments. God says that he keeps his mercy for thousands of generations. Not just to my generation, but to my children's generation, to my grandchildren's generation, and on down through the line. And so as 
parents and as mothers, this is the promise that we need to stand on, that God's mercy will not just be to us, but that God's mercy will be to our children as we raise them in the commandments of the Lord. Isaiah 65. In Isaiah 65, we have a beautiful, beautiful promise. Speaking to God's people, it says in verse 23, of 65 they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them Psalm 103 and we can look at many promises we're only going to look at a few Psalm 103 verse 17 it says But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, to those who remember his commandments to do them. That is a promise not only for your children, it's a promise for your grandchildren. Children's children. Um, Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is called Mary's Magnificat, her song or hymn of praise. In verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, servant, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. We could look at many, many more, but there are numerous promises in the scriptures that parents, and and I stress today for mothers since it's Mother's Day, that, that mothers can stand on, that they can pray, that they can claim, if you will. And we we must parent by faith. In God's word. Amen? Amen. And we must parent according to what the word of God says. And as we do that, as we obey God in our parenting, we can stand on these these promises confident that God will hear our prayers. If I didn't believe that, I don't think I would have ever become a parent. To think that there was no assurance from the word of God that my children might go to hell. Why would I want to bring people into the world? But we have promises in the word of God. And just as, as Eve went from a woman who doubted God's word to a woman who believed in God's word, so we must go from doubt to faith. And we must, we must walk by faith and not by sight, standing on the word of God, believing the word of God, teaching our children the word of God, because God's word is true. So, sin, repentance, and faith. Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? It is the gospel. We've all sinned. God has provided the means for our salvation through Jesus, typified by that slain animal and the coverings. But we must confess, we must repent, acknowledge that we've sinned. We must exercise faith in the hope, just as Eve did. God is good. Just as God was good to provide them a covering, God has provided us a covering, and it's called the righteousness of Jesus. It has been imputed to us. And because of that, the believer in Christ can stand in God's presence, not condemned. 
Is that amazing? Not condemned. Because I've been made righteous in Christ. Clothed with his righteousness, not my own. We stand before him unashamed. So we are thankful for Jesus and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. And we're also thankful for how Jesus is working in the lives of so many families. He's working in the hearts of so many women and so many mothers to honor him in their marriage and in their parenting. So let's stand together. We're going to close with one of my favorite hymns. But before we do that, I'd like to give the moms, uh, we're going to give the moms a, a carnation. And of course, it's only a symbol. It's only a token. But um, we want you to understand how much that you are appreciated by the church. And I trust appreciated by your families. So have the ushers come forward and give those out to the moms.